0: The job of the government is to secure the natural law, of secure secure the natural rights rather, of human beings, okay? And sometimes those human beings don't have a voice because they're in utero. And so our job as the government is to secure their natural right, the right to life, which is the first right. And it's listed first because if you don't have that, none of the other rights, they're all moot at that point.
1: Hello everyone and welcome into the latest edition of the Palmetto Family Matters podcast. I'm Justin Hall. We have now reached, wow, this is episode 22 of the podcast and we want to thank each of you for listening every single week. So please continue to share it with your family and friends. Give us that five-star rating as we believe we have earned it. Leave us a review that helps this podcast be seen by more and more people as we shape the Palmetto State from a biblical worldview. And Dave, we are thrilled to have our guest with us you today. know,
2: I have known Alan Wilson for more than a dozen years now. Uh, and there, as much as your dad likes to, to make us family uh, with the Wilson clan around here, you know, I tell your dad, you know, we're trying to build the conservative movement one voter at a time. And, uh, <laughs> and I think that there's a great opportunity. Uh, Attorney General Alan Wilson has been at the forefront of the fight for conservative values for the rule of law. Not only here in South Carolina, but Alan, your extent of your reach and what you do in your position has implications across the, the country right now. Um, let our listeners know kind of what's going on with you within your office, but also what you're doing with other attorney
0: generals across the country. Absolutely. Well, First off, thank you guys for having me on here. I really appreciate what y'all are doing. I'm giving people the opportunity to be educated on what the the officials in their government are doing. This is incredibly important work. Uh, first off, um, let me start off at 30,000 feet. Now, everyone thinks of me that that knows who I am, knows I'm the attorney general for South Carolina, and then I'll run the AG's office. But I want to talk a little bit about my other role, um, because I think it's important from the st- uh, strategic thinking. I'm chairman of the Republican Attorney General's Association. That would be like chairman, of the, the, you know, majority leader or the, uh, the leader of a caucus in, in government. Uh, we had, up until last month, 26 Republican AGs. Our our association went in deep in the Virginia race, and mm-hmm. we now have a uh, Republican attorney general from Virginia. And I tell people who uh, businesses and constituencies who don't have a, a stake in the Virginia's race or a stake in another state's race, it, it matters who the Republican AGs are in states you don't ever plan to visit because that is more, that is more bandwidth. That's a whole other law firm at the national level to help us deal with with the flood of stuff coming out of Washington, D.C. The the, the mandates and all these unconstitutional laws and, and regulations are just trying to grow the, the government. So my job as chairman of RAGA, that's what we call it, Republican AG Association, is to get more Republican AGs elected. And then once we're elected to... Kind of sit around a big table, and we do this virtually rather, uh, almost on a weekly basis. And then uh, a half a dozen times a year, we meet in a conference, and we sit there and we strategize and we talk about what's going on on the national landscape. Some states are better positioned to lead on some issues uh, because of their particular expertise, or because of what's going on in their state. Other states are better. Uh, to lead, and when I say lead, I do that with air quotes, to be the first state on a pleading, and because of where they're situated with the circuit system that we have in this country.
2: And so let's talk about that then from the standpoint of understanding the different court circuits, because it, I guess back in the day, you know, the founding of our country, the Supreme Court justices would actually travel in a circuit to hear. Cases, I mean, way in the way back, Mm -hmm. but we've established federal court circuits right now so that certain things are handled within certain states. And you take a look at what's going on, like with the Texas case on the Texas heartbeat bill or what's being done to challenge uh, the, the mandates. Those are being done right now in states like Texas and Oklahoma because they're in one circuit but we're in a different circuit. Help us to understand the difference between
0: those. So we're in the South Carolina, situated in the fourth judicial circuit, um, which 10 years ago, 15 years ago, was actually a pretty good, a, a decent circuit, meaning the number of judges on there mm-hmm. were rule of law judges appointed by generally, by the way, it's funny, Republican presidents or Democratic presidents always select liberal judges. Republican uh, presidents select uh, conservative judges about 70% of the time. So, <laughs> even, so mathematically, it's not working well for us yeah, in the fourth circuit Yes, yeah, yeah, elections have consequences, but even the selection of judges uh, with Republican presidents can be, you know, somewhat, um, you know, a a difficult situation. But be that as it may is President Obama came in and he basically gutted the Fourth Circuit, the circuit that we're in. And so a majority of the circuit judges at the appellate level out of Richmond, Virginia, are hard left blue judges. I mean, they, they are going to strike everything down. So when we sit up there at the national stage and we're looking at all of the mandates or laws being passed, we sit down and I'm like, okay, uh, we, uh, the 8th Circuit is a better circuit, the 5th Circuit is a better circuit, the 11th Circuit, you know, the 7th Circuit. Uh, we need to avoid these circuits, the ninth, the 4th, et cetera, and so on. And so then we, once we identify the map, the, the, we look at the battlefield then we say, okay, what states are going to go in what circuit? Now, just because the state of Texas or the state of Louisiana or Mississippi or Oklahoma is the lead state, and I say lead because they're the ones that actually take the pleading down to the courthouse and file it – all of our solicitor generals, all of our attorneys, we are we are helping draft these complaints. We are all, the, the legal mental bandwidth is all there with all the states. We're sharing the resources, we're sharing the cost, we're sharing the time when, when, when there is a cost, but we're all certainly in the pot with them, and the bandwidth is, that's why it's not, that's so important to have conservative AGs in blue states, because that's more bandwidth, that's more brain power, and it helps us be able to file faster. So that's what we're doing, Dave. South Carolina, in the last in the last several months, we have filed a number of suits specifically dealing with the mandates coming about the vaccines. You remember President Biden on September 9th. Remember that speech he gave? <laughs> yeah. We need to do more. This is not about freedom or personal choice. It's about protecting yourself and those around you. The people you work with. The people you care about. The people you love. My job as president is to protect all Americans. Um, it's alarming what he's saying. Mm-hmm. He, he's, he leads off toward the beginning, and he says this is not about freedom or personal liberty. This is about protecting yourself and your loved ones and your community. If you take that statement, and that sounds great uh, to some, mm. but if it's not about freedom or personal liberty, it's about protecting other people, you can apply that to anything. Exactly. Anything. And that's the place where I think...
2: A lot of folks who are listening right now you're at home right now you're as mitch loves to say you may be doing the laundry or you're driving into town or you're driving home from from work as you begin to think about this attorney general alan wilson's with us right now and attorney general wilson you are talking about the fact that words have meanings and they have consequences and when president biden says something like what you just said you have to take it at face value i mean we we said this with terry mcauliffe in the virginia race virginia voters Listened to what Terry McAuliffe had to say about parents involved in education, and they believed him. Mm -hmm. And I think we have to ask the same question. Can we take Joe Biden at his words and say he is excusing personal freedoms
0: and liberty for the sake of the greater cause in air quotes? It's very alarming that a president of the United States would say those words, um, because what he is saying is is that it's really about the community. It's the public good. There was another guy that said something similar about that mm-hmm, uh, yeah. you know, 150 years ago. His yes, name was Karl Marx. Um, you know, it's, it's about—that's it's, where communism comes mm-hmm. from. It's, it's, it's what's for the greater good of the co- community, not the individual. And, again— um, that's a very slippery path we're going down. What, what President Biden is basically saying is the ends justify the means. And the means right now are that government, we should grow government, we should empower the federal government to do the things that we, I mean, when I say we, I mean they, government should do the things mm-hmm. that they believe are morally right, regardless of what you personally believe. And th- that is a very slippery slope to go down. So let's, let's go to the case at hand, if you want to go ahead and jump in. Uh, when the president gave that speech on the 9th, of September. He said, I'm going to do all these mandates that are going to compel people to get the jab, right? Yeah. And there were a number of different mandates. There was a mandate that dealt with OSHA, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration. That dealt with employers of 100 employees or more around the country and basically because OSHA regulates certain businesses and the safety standards that are being um, adhered to in those businesses, well, that the government's saying, well, hey, we have a hook. We can control. We can weaponize employers against their own employees by saying, if you don't do this, we can shut you down, b- pretty much fine you to death. Uh, then there was the federal mandate. If you're a federal contractor who's doing work for the federal government, and you know, and 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 the, the ink is dried on the contract. You're in, but because you're receiving federal funds, we can compel you to get the jab. They did the thing with the CMS mandate. You see, a lot of the the uh, hospitals and healthcare providers around the state's really going crazy because um, they're saying if you receive Medicaid or Medicare reimbursement, we can pull that away from you if you don't compel your employees to get get the jab. Get the jab or lose your job, and. What I tell people is, yes, the federal government can put strings on money. We do this with the highway dollars. That's why the drinking age in most states, or almost all states, is 21. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going to have people driving on our roads, uh, we want the drinking age to be this. Otherwise, we don't give you driving dollars. And the states are like, that's fine with us. Congress can do that. But what you're doing here is, is you're changing the rules of the game after the game has already started, and then people have already agreed to the to the terms, and now you're saying. You have, you have to inject this stuff into your system, whether you want to or not. And I'm not here today to talk about whether vaccines work or right, not. That is no. not the issue. I mean, I am personally vaccinated, mm-hmm. but there are a lot of people out there for one reason or the other because of the conversations with their healthcare provider, conversations with their loved ones. They, uh, they, they're not ready to make that decision and they should have that right. And my job is to defend their rights. So we filed lawsuits over all of these mandates. And again, OSHA was never designed to protect employees from some generic, you know, threat that exists in the world, mm-hmm. it was designed to protect employees from an inherent danger that is relevant to that specific industry. If you're a construction worker, Dave, and you're climbing scaffolding and stuff, you got to have a hard hat. You got to have you got to meet certain safety conditions. I mean, that that's that's just you know right on its face. But right now, OSHA is designed to protect us from some disease that originated in in China, and and, and if it can do that, then that's that's OSHA. is being weaponized. The law was never intended to be passed to do that. Congress, I mean, Congress could change OSHA, and that would be a policy issue, but the Biden administration, the executive branch, is rewriting the law to basically bring people up under the fold to compel them to get the jab.
1: We're here with Attorney General Alan Wilson, uh, South Carolina's Attorney General Alan Wilson, talking about all things that are encompassing what he's doing right now, and it is wide-ranging. Um, real quick, just want to mention the the weaponization of a regulatory body. I've talked to people before. Correct me if I'm wrong. There's precedent that says states can mandate vaccinations. Yes. From from a Supreme Court case dating way back. The issue is the federal government really doesn't have any power in that. And- that's where the debate comes in of weaponizing a regulatory body to do something that that body's never had the power to do and certainly the federal government doesn't either. And a lot
0: of my friends on the left threw that in my face. Yeah, We had vaccine mandates growing up. Well, yeah, it was done by the state law after mm-hmm. it had been tested for a decade. Uh, we've, all been, we've all been mandated to take a vaccine. When the founders wrote the constitution, they gave delineated enumerated powers to Congress and certain other branches of government that you can see in the constitution. Anything not listed is left to the states. That's what we call the general police power and, and, and the power to protect the general health and welfare of their communities, left to the state. So long as it's not violative of another provision of the Constitution or the Bill of Rights or any other amendments, you can do it. So a lot of that stuff is done at the local level and it's done through legislative, not executive and administrative fiat. That's the difference. You know, you, who do you go vote against other than the president? Who is the director of OSHA? Can someone tell me who the administrator is? That's a great question. And I'm suing the person. I'm honestly having a blank right now. I mean, I know their name, but the point is, is that unelected bureaucrats mire down in the bowels of the federal government Mm -hmm. making decisions, and they're inoculated and insulated from public view. That is a very scary thing.
1: For the sake of transparency, (laughs) that's a quick Google search. Uh, His name is Doug Parker. And he's acting, right? He is he he received Senate confirmation as oh. the new head of OSHA oh, wow. on October twenty seventh. Recently. Yep.
3: I love what you brought up just a minute ago about those that would sacrifice personal liberty for the expense of safety. We've heard the quote from Benjamin Franklin. I also have heard what happened on the View just a couple of weeks ago. Now I'm not correlating uh, the view with Benjamin Franklin in any way. I'm glad to know that you watched the view. I so Nora, I that's what I was doing next. <laughs> nor would I ever admit to listening or watching the view. I heard the clips uh, of a guest on the view who was talking about not necessarily being anti-vax, but being anti-mandate. And I think that's where most right thinking people are. And I, I use that term, uh, literally correctly thinking people are, is that they're not necessarily concerned about the vaccine as much as they are individual Liberty. She was castigated for her view, uh, pun intended possibly, uh, by the hostesses of the view for considering personal liberty over safety of the collective. My concern there is the gross double standard by the hostesses of the view and many others on the left when it comes to the juxtaposition of two totally different ideas. On one hand, we have personal liberty when it comes to choice but we're also willing to sacrifice that when it comes to a vaccine mandate. So I'll draw it to a head and we'll, we'll move to a, a new subject. How would you then talk to those people who are concerned with individual liberty when it comes to pro-choice and specifically the abortion argument, us being pro-life versus those who now will are willing to sacrifice that when it comes to a vaccine mandate and the Unbelievable double standard that they're unwilling to admit when it comes to this.
0: So you're asking me how do I reconcile the pro-life view with the, I don't want something injected into my body, and you should support that position view. Correct. Okay. Well, first off, um, let, me, let me go back up to 30,000 feet and then bring it home. Uh, yeah, sure. Okay. When the Constitution was drafted, our founders, they were philosophers. They were deeply mm-hmm. read, the highly educated people who studied these issues, issues that we take for granted today because we don't have to carve out a country out of the wilderness, right? Right. And, and one, of the, one of the most influential thinkers of the Enlightenment era was a guy named John Locke. Who came up with this concept of natural rights? Yes. And he and, and that's where Thomas Jefferson gets his, you know, in the in the Declaration of Caleb. Independence. He talks about life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. Of course, John Locke, it was life, liberty, property, but it's the same principle. And so when you're looking at what why was government created? Why did the we know why what the left thinks government was created to do. Mm-hmm. The government, they in their mind's eye, their worldview is the government was created to give us rights, right, and keep us in line. The founders, in my view, was the government was created to secure the natural rights of nature or nature's God, depending on your point of view, right? And those rights are the right to life, liberty, property, pursuit of happiness, whatever those natural rights are. These are not rights that come from government. These are rights that come from nature or nature's God, and na- and, and government is to secure them. So now we go to the abortion issue, okay? We can have all kinds of conversations about when life begins, but here's the point when do you attach moral value to a human life? Yes. Okay, and in 1973, and again, in the Casey case in 1991, I mean, Supreme Court got, I mean, a bunch of people uh, with no medical training, and by the way, even if they did, it would be pointless, is when do you attach moral value to the life of a child? And the government, my view of the government, is to secure the natural right to life. Mm -hmm. Now, sometimes the right to life and the right to Liberty or the right to pursuit of happiness may come into from from a person's point of view into conflict with one another, but at some point, you have to be a voice for someone who doesn't have a voice. Yes, and and that is how I approach the pro life issue. And by the way, I don't use I don't I don't argue from a biblical standpoint because that's the that's the fallacy of uh, arguing to an authority that someone else might not believe in. So you have to argue with okay. If you are in favor of the liberty of the person who is pregnant choosing when to terminate that life, what if that same woman was walking across the street in her first trimester and struck by a drunk dri- driver and, and then all of a sudden is the, the, the defendant is charged with two felony counts of DUI death resulting for killing the mother and the fetus. Now, by the way, you know that's so we call it fetus because people who are pro-choice have not yet attached moral value to that child. But because the woman wanted to keep that, take that baby to term while she was walking across the street. And because someone took that decision from her, the left is assigned moral value in, in, in that particular instance. But if that same woman was walking across the street to an abortion clinic to end the child's life, then there is no moral value attached to the child's life. So how can, how can you charge someone for two counts of murder if it's a fetus and not a baby in one fact pattern, but in another fact pattern it's, it's perfectly permissible. So it's all about attaching moral value. And if you don't attach moral value until uh, viability, well, listen, viability can be—it's it's mutable. It can change based on where you—first off, in time, the viability of a fetus in 1973 is very different than the viability of a fetus now with medical technology. Certainly. The viability of us living here right around the corner from Baptist Medical— is very different, or Prisma is very different than someone living in a very, very rural area of South Carolina, 100 miles from the closest hospital or 50 miles from the closest. I mean, viability can change based on where you live. So does the moral value of the child change based on what year you're born in? Does it change based on where, you, where your zip code is? Um, or, or, or here's another um, thing I've um, heard argued against me. You're a man. Mm-hmm. You don't have the right to have an opinion on this, because you can't get pregnant. I'm like, well, I've never owned a slave or been a slave, but I have an opinion on slavery is evil. Something is either good or bad, regardless of the person who holds the opinion. And Absolutely. so you can't go to the, the, the opinion holder. You've got to go to the thing at stake. I've deviated a little bit, bringing it home. The job of the government is to secure the natural law, secure, secure the natural rights rather of human beings. Okay. And sometimes those human beings don't have a voice because they're in utero. And so our job as the government is to secure their natural right, the right to life, which is the first lo- right. And it's listed first, because if you don't have that, none of the other rights, they're all they, moot at that point. Yeah. So that is why, that's how I ap- approach the pro-life issue. You, you, you can move the moral value to abortion or to the life of a child. You can move it. But to me, it's at conception. That's the only line in the sand you can draw, uh, that you can draw.
2: Excellent. So in that particular case, as we begin to to wrap up this conversation with Attorney General Alan Wilson, I think most people want to be able to know that the values that we hold dearly mm-hmm. in South Carolina are being defended on a regular basis. And I think, you know, if you've listened to this podcast today, you know full well what Attorney General Alan Wilson is doing, not only in South Carolina, but what he's doing in, in leading Republican attorney generals across the country to be able to make a difference as we step forward into some, some big decisions that are going to be made at the national level. The Supreme Court's taking up this Mississippi case, the, the Dobbs case on December 1st. Um, there are going to be some people who are wondering, so what does that mean for South Carolina? You know, We, we passed a heartbeat law in February of this year. Governor signed that. It was immediately enjoined. You're out, out there defending that. What ends up happening when the Supreme Court possibly reverses roe versus wade with this Dobbs decision what does that mean for the heartbeat law in south carolina
0: well in in all likelihood it would moot the heartbeat bill i mean the heartbeat law suit rather um because if roe v wade is overturned then it's left to the states by the way a state can still outlaw abortion under the 10th amendment and state sovereignty so Mm -hmm. it doesn't it doesn't outlaw abortion it just leaves it to the states and that's a whole nother argument or, or debate or discussion people can have. But uh, all Roe v. Wade is, is prohibit the states from outlawing abortion. Once that is removed, states are free to legislate, um, you know, differently now. So it really takes a 10th Amendment argument yeah. and puts
2: it into play because the 10th Amendment does say if it's not enumerated to the federal government, it's left to the states or to the people. And so this is a situation right now where South Carolina, the political boundaries of South Carolina matter. Yeah. Because what goes on in South Carolina is different than what may happen in North Carolina or Georgia or New York or California. Amen. And so as that happens, um, what do you see as the, the temperature of the legal community moving forward as you think about this Dobbs case? Do you find your other attorney generals finding some level of energy
0: behind this? I mean, listen. There's de- definitely energy there for a whole host of reasons, not just the Dobbs case, but for a lot of cases coming out of D.C. and, and out of the various states. But, but I can tell you right now, I and a, a, just nearly every Republican AG is on an Amicus brief in the U.S. Supreme Court in support of Mississippi's law. Right, and and so we're there. I am I am a I'm a I'm a member of that Amicus brief, and we're going to be there supporting this and supporting the court revisit i I don't know if i have 30 seconds to say one more thing this is it i get fussed at by my friends on the left and and there's some really good people they have said to me they says you shouldn't be you this is stare decisis it's been decided it's it's been this court decided this in 73 and kind of reaffirmed it differently in 91 why are you going back? And I'm like, well, for the same reason, in 1954, people revisited Brown v. Board of Education yes. and the Plessy decision of 1896. It said separate but equal. Separate but equal was evil. Um, and they revisited that. Every generation has an opportunity to revisit something as important as this issue. And just because mm-hmm. it was decided by a bunch of people in black robes 30 or 50 years ago doesn't mean we shouldn't
1: revisit it now. That's exactly right. And actually, we'll be In Washington on December 1st, Palmetto family will be on the ground there at the Supreme Court as the Dobbs case is being heard on December 1st. Attorney General Alan Wilson, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Palmetto Family Matters podcast. Certainly a thrill for us to discuss these issues. Thanksgiving is coming. We hope you enjoy your Thanksgiving. We hope you listen to the Palmetto Family Matters podcast while you enjoy your turkey. What better side for your turkey? and your stuffing, then the Palmetto Family Matters podcast, and we have reading material for you as well.
2: If you have not received your copy of the Palmetto Family Matters magazine in the mail, which probably should have come to you in the last week, then you are more than welcome to reach out to us. Email us at matters, M-A-T-T-E-R-S, Matters at palmettofamily.org. Request your copy of the Palmetto Family Matters magazine. There are articles in there on the issues you will be discussing at the Thanksgiving (laughs) table. Uh, So if you don't have that in time, always feel free to check out palmettofamily.org. Those stories are there because you need to be informed on what the issues are, why they matter, what the Bible says about them, and what you can do about them as an important part of being a citizen of the United States of America. And You know a citizen of the state of south carolina because these are the issues that really do matter
3: we want you to stay informed we believe informed people are effective people so stay informed with all the issues going on in fact you can text guardrails to 76076 that's guardrails to 76076 to get action alerts and email updates regarding everything that's happening right here in the palmetto state so stay informed with our app guardrails our email updates and our palmetto family matters podcast
1: Until next time, for Dave Wilson, for Mitch Prosser, and for the Attorney General Alan Wilson, this is Justin Hall. We'll talk soon.